Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Verlansky, joined as always by Nick Horat and the Pittsburgh Penguins. While they didn't get the clean sweep on the road trip, do return home for a pivotal five-game homestand throughout the middle of March that could determine whether or not they are sitting pretty heading into the final stretch towards the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. It starts tonight with a game against the lowly Columbus Blue Jackets, but you got to know that there is nothing that little brother would love to do more than put a little thorn in the side of the Pittsburgh Penguins in their playoff hopes tonight. So it should be an interesting matchup there. One thing that we're going to be seeing is Dmitry Kulikov making his Pittsburgh Penguins debut. He took the ice with the Penguins for the first time yesterday at PPG Paints Arena during practice. Horwat, what did you see from Kulikov? I know it was just practice, but what did you see from Kulikov in that first session on the ice? Yeah, just regular defenseman stuff, I think. <clears throat> yeah. He's not the biggest, I guess. I mean, we discussed his size last time. Um, right? It's been a while. It's been a, <laughs> it's been a while since we've recorded. An entire trade deadline happened. There's no way we talked about Kulikov. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's casual defenseman stuff. He's a bigger guy. He uh, seems like he can... Move the puck decent enough. Uh, I'm really interested to... I'm more curious about how the lineup shakes out with him in it. It's not so much how he plays or what kind of game he brings. It really is who he's taking out of the lineup because mm -hmm. good old Ron Hextall had zero plans of trading a defenseman at the deadline. Okay, we came into the season with nine NHL-ready defensemen. You saw two injuries to minor league defensemen and went, we need more depth at, the, at, at, at defense. First of all, one of those defensemen, you, it, uh, Xavier Ouellette, not even one that we've talked about ever. And no. yet, now he might be an NHL-ready defenseman as well. So now we have 11? Because you added Kulikov to the list. Maybe you're adding Ouellette to the list whenever he's healthy again. Now do we have 11? That's one question that I've wanted to throw out there. But um, So you added another piece of lumber to this, to this logjam. That's all you've done. And now it's, well, who's getting taken out of the lineup? I don't, I don't care how he plays. It, I mean, it's understandable for right now that you, you know, Mike Sullivan wants to see what he has. Mm -hmm. so I get it. You want for a game or two, you want to see what Kulikov can bring. You want to see what your new, your new piece can add to this lineup. Can he improve in certain areas? Mm -hmm. uh, and if you want to, if you have to take Pio Joseph out for a game or two to do that, fine, do it. That's fine. You know, Pio Joseph's had a great season. A game or two off isn't going to hurt him. It's if that remains consistent, that's where it gets painful. Yeah. So I don't care how Kulikov plays, really. I'll be interested to see how he plays in the game. I'm more interested as to who he's taking out of the lineup. Because we know what kind of defenseman Kulikov is. You know, he was a minus something large in Anaheim, but he was also playing top-line minutes against uh, on the Anaheim Ducks. So Yeah. Yeah, notice that you know, I'm not trying to make the comparison because I don't think that they're anywhere close as far as players and skill talent-wise, all of that. Ricard Raquel was also struggling in Anaheim last season before he came over to Pittsburgh. Came over to Pittsburgh, found a lot of success. Not saying it's the same thing because one's a forward, one's a defenseman, one's a top-tier the, the player, top-lineup player, one is a bottom-lineup player. But still, you take what you see from Anaheim with a grain of salt, considering where that organization is with Dmitry Kulikov. But like you mentioned, 
it is probable that P.O. Joseph is the player that is taken out of the lineup in order to see what Kulikov brings to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Supplanting him in the lineup to me, and I, I tweeted about it yesterday, I said it's it's not a matter of Kulikov is probably going to just take over that role for the for the rest of the season. At least I wouldn't think so. I'm surprised he's getting a start this early, but I do understand Mike Sullivan. It's better now against a team like Columbus to see what that is than when you're playing three of four against the New York Rangers and two of them back-to-back at MSG. Better now to see what you have going into that than having to do it on the fly if you're being forced into that. I, I get that. But I expected him to simply be injury insurance for the left side. I, I know Ron Hextall said that on Friday. He said, I got Kulikov. I didn't plan on trading a defenseman because we need injury insurance. Uh, we have players that are down in the minors that are injured. And I thought, okay, well, then he's he's like Weidman that the Penguins brought in a couple years ago. But I guess not. I, I, I guess they're expecting to utilize him a little bit more so than they utilized Weidman, which was zero. Um, and when you look at this, I understand it, but also I don't want to see that continue, as you mentioned. I want to see P.O. Joseph get the opportunity. Joseph has been phenomenal as far as a rookie defenseman is concerned for the Pittsburgh Penguins this season. Now, do I think that he's hit a little bit of a rookie wall? Yes. Has it really affected his defensive play? No. But I think it's affected his overall play a little bit. Not that it's making him a bad player, but it's making him a little less effective, and maybe it's time to get him a couple of days off, which we saw it yesterday with Jake Gensel. Now, they can't afford to take Jake Gensel out of a game, but can you afford to give P.O. Joseph a night off? To see what you have in Kulikov? Yes. Now, is that what's happening? That's my assumption as to what's happening. But I think that that is what makes that, in my head, make sense. Yeah, that is everyone's assumption. It's, let's see what you truly have in this guy. Mike Sullivan's going to take the new name, implement him in against a team that is literally, they're 10 points out of, uh, they're 10 points below Montreal in the standings in the East. They have 46 points. That is the worst in the NHL. Three points behind Chicago at 49. You got not much to lose. I don't, mm-hmm. and I, and you're right. I think Columbus is probably going to try and play a hard game and try and mm-hmm. stick a thorn in their, in the Penguins side, but them winning also doesn't do them any good. So I, I'm not saying they're going to throw this, but I'm saying there is zero reason why we should lose this regardless of who the team is. Yeah. So, yeah, you throw him out against Columbus. It's a solid idea. Yeah, absolutely. Throw the Smith back out there. Don't do that. But don't, don't do that. But um, you get the idea. It is a style of game that you, if you got new people, you got to do a little experimenting. Maybe maybe they throw Garland at Garland? Granland. Do you know how many times I'm going to do that, by the way? <laughs> a lot. I, do you know how many There's times a lot I of Penguins it? fans that wish it would be Garland and not Granland, but I'm, it's not. <laughs> yeah, just if I say it, just correct me. Anyway. Like then he might experiment with Granlin at center t- tonight. You don't mm-hmm. know what what exactly is going to happen, um, in this game in particular because, but like like I said, let's be honest, Columbus isn't good, and the Penguins have new faces to really figure out what they can do with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fine. Put Kulikov in. Put Granlin at center. Uh, experiment with a couple of things. See what you have because. You know, you got an important game against the Islanders next, a, a lackadaisical team in Philadelphia, and mm-hmm. then three in the same week against the Rangers. Hopefully by then you have things figured out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, if there's anywhere that Ron Hexel addressed the Penguins lineup over the trade deadline, it was face-offs and penalty kill because you bring in Granlin that can play center, you bring in Benino that can play center, now you have Paling and Carter who could also play center. So a lot of uh, a lot of bottom six center types to the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll discuss Ron Hextall's trade deadline at large later in the show with the Pens poll. But when you look at it, and I said also in that little spiel there, they added a penalty killer, and that's what Dmitry Kulikov brings that P.O. Joseph doesn't. The Penguins haven't utilized Joseph on the penalty kill, and why would you? Because you have guys in the lineup that can kill penalties ahead of him. Petrie, Dumoulin, Pedersen, Ruda. I mean, if you look at the last 10 games, P.O. Joseph has one minute and three seconds on the penalty kill. He is the lowest penalty kill time on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Also, quick little note, Latang has only played 128 on the penalty kill. They've really gotten him off of that unit this season, which is good. We've all said that he needs to be given less of a responsibility in certain situations. And uh, on the penalty kill, if you can get everybody else to go out there and, and take the minutes and eat the minutes and it's, it's not failing uh, like it has been in the past, then you're fine with that. But as far as Joseph is concerned, you cannot keep him out of the lineup for an extended period of time, in my opinion. Like I said, last 10 sample sizes, what I was looking at on natural stat trick. At 5-on-5, five five, he had 57% of the shot attempts, which was best on the Pittsburgh Penguins. He had 63.6% of the actual goals scored, which is second on the team behind only Jan Ruda, his defense partner for the last five games. And he has 54% of the expected goals share when on the ice at 5-on-5, five five, which again... Second on the team only to defense partner Jan Ruda for the last five games. So if you look at that Ruda-Joseph pairing, since Jan Ruda has returned from injury, they have yet to allow a goal at five on five in the past five games. They've only produced one at even strength. But when you're the third pairing, all you're asking for is don't put us behind. It's the same thing as the fourth line. Do not cost us a game. And that pairing hasn't as of yet. So while Joseph has kind of hit the rookie wall a little bit he's still performing at a very high level defensively yeah it's not there's nothing wrong with it this they're they're defensemen that's the name of their game they're not supposed to allow goals and that's exactly mm -hmm. what they're doing so it's net positive with those guys with those mm -hmm. two joseph and uh <clears throat> joseph and ruda sure like, like like i said sure you give him a break every now and again uh, ruda's just coming off of an injury so he's still trying to catch his legs um and as for Joseph, I mean, it's you got to put Kulikov in. That's understandable. For right now, it's perfectly okay. Just don't let it be the permanent thing. Maybe try some experimenting with, oh, I don't know, Brian Dumoulin. I knew you were going to say that. And it's actually funny that you say that because I know that a lot of people, when they saw P.O. Joseph was the name, they got bumped down to that fourth practice pairing with, with Chad Ruweed. A lot of people are like, well, Brian Dumoulin's still in the top pairing. And, and don't get me wrong. That was my first inclination, too. I was like, come on now. Like, Dumoulin is clearly, of those three guys, clearly the guy that needs to be taken out. But I will give him this. When I looked at that last 10-game sample size, when I looked at specifically the five-game sample size since Ruda's been back, only five games, I get it, but still, dumoulin Latang has been the best defense pairing on the Penguins when it comes to actually playing in their position. 59% of the shot attempts... 61% of the expected goals for. Now, the problem is they've only produced two goals and they've allowed three in that time period. But realistically, they're they're playing better together right now. So I, I, I get why at this moment in time you're saying, all right, it's working with those two. Let's keep it out there and hope they keep this rhythm going because realistically, 
Brian Dumoulin returning to what he was even last season, but specifically a couple seasons ago, would be a better trade deadline addition than Dmitry Kulikov in the first place. Now, do I think that that can happen because of all the injuries that he's had and because of the season that he has had and the inconsistencies that he's shown? I don't think it's, it's likely, but he's playing well right now. He's playing better right now. And I think that it's smart to allow him to continue this to see if it's something that will continue. Or if he falls off a cliff again, at least you know you have somebody in Kulikov that's going to push for that position somewhere like Ty Smith hasn't been able to do all season. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to push Joseph in the in, to become a better player. It's going to push everyone on that left side to becoming a better player. You would think. Mm-hmm. Um, Sullivan seems to think so. I mean, every time... And he said, anytime an NHL-ready player gets added to your lineup, it creates that internal competition, which is good. Mm-hmm. If it's it's a little, it's interesting that it's happening this late in the season. Yeah, but so be it. It's um, just the way it is. It's going to create some internal competition. It should bring the better out of Joseph. It should bring the best out of Dumoulin. It should bring the it should bring more out of Kulikov who's given this new opportunity all of a sudden. Going from Anaheim yeah. to Pittsburgh, from Anaheim, one of the worst teams in the league, had he stayed there, he could have been playing with Connor Bedard next year. Now, right this very second, he's going to play with Cindy Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and while they are aging, you, we see where the teams are. The teams are in two completely different spaces. So maybe that brings a little more out of Dmitry Kulikov. You never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying this is the direct comparison, but we've seen it time and time again, defensemen come to Pittsburgh from different situations i'm not gonna say worse teams because cody cc is an example i'm gonna use here is one of them they're coming into a different they're coming from different situations where they are now going to play a smaller role mm-hmm. they're now going to be on a different slash better team and it should bring out something better i.e mm-hmm. cody cc from coming from toronto who was a first line player we stuck him mm-hmm. on the third line he looks pretty good now he's back on the first line in edmonton and he looks not good again yeah, I think first line's an exaggeration, but he looks not good again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Schultz comes to mind. Yeah, he was a healthy scratch for a lot of his first uh, part of the season here, but that second year he had Norris votes. Mm-hmm. Again, different role. He kind of grew into becoming uh, a Crystal Tang replacement when he was injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of too many others. I know there's another one that I'm Mike Madison. Escaping. Mike Madison, thank you. Horrid numbers <laughs> in Florida. Uh, but, you know, for being a forward playing on the blue line, he can only do so much. We brought him here. We stuck him in a different role. Uh, and he accelerated. And he's – I haven't paid too much. He's been hurt a lot this year, so it's hard to tell. In he had a gorgeous goal over the weekend against Vegas. That he did. But also Montreal's yikes. So, well, not too yikes, I guess. They're behind Philadelphia, though. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Their season's kind of gotten derailed. Obviously, losing Cole Caulfield for the year was big, and, and they weren't really expecting much to begin with. They had the first overall pick last season for a reason, uh, drafting Uri Slavkovsky. But, no, to, to close this all out, I think, in my mind, the one thing that's kind of stuck out also, that even though we're later in the season, there have been hints of this Joseph Latang pairing all throughout the year just sprinkled in. We remember it was in training camp. Those guys were staple gunned together for the first week and a half. We've seen it when Sullivan goes to switch the lines around. Often he he defers to Joseph Latang as the top pairing. They've played together in the last 10. I, I did see those numbers, and I was like, okay, they've played together for like seven minutes. And it, it's been a good seven minutes, but just little hints of this here and there. So if Dublin 
once again falls off a cliff, which a lot of people are expecting. I kind of hope he doesn't because you won't want any players to fall off a cliff at this stage of the game, especially considering where the Penguins are at. But if he does, like I said, there's an NHL defenseman that's not getting sent down that's there to pressure the left side. And I think Joseph has the pedigree and has put together enough of a season to where they would start Joseph with Latang, keep Pedersen and Petrie together, and let Kulikov run as that third pairing and sit Dumlin. Now the question is, where is the loyalty line because that's the big question we always ask with Mike Sullivan he's very loyal to his players and listen that's why players love playing for him but at the same time it can be a detriment if you're continuously playing a guy over Dumlin I mean let's just put this in a hypothetical if Dumlin starts to struggle and you continue to have P.O. Joseph in the box that's when it becomes an issue hopefully it doesn't get to that point but it's something to keep an eye on yeah Mike Sullivan's loyal he just he, he cannot be at this stage of the game loyal to a fault yeah he really cannot be if you got a guy that's not performing dude take him out if you have other guys that are go- that you know are going to do better if you don't know someone's going to be better do what you got to do right mm-hmm. like at this point <clears throat> i don't know if i would transition do one out for ruweedle i get they're two different sides of the ice but you hear you hear what i'm saying i don't know if i would make that change mm-hmm. i don't know because Ru- ruweedle is what ruweedle is we at least have some sort of pedigree with Dumoulin in here whereas this is Kulikov, who, like we keep saying, new toy. Shiny new toy. Let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. See what he can do. If he can do something and he looks better than Brian Dumoulin, make that, make that change. I mean, Dmitry Kulikov has been getting cooked against a lot of the Western Conference's uh, top players. He was their top, I'm pretty sure at least, one of their top defensemen over there in Anaheim. At a minus 11, yeah, you're playing for Anaheim. That's mm-hmm. That's got an asterisk on it. Mm-hmm. Comes over here, he's going to be playing in a lesser role, like I said, with CC Matheson, uh, Justin Schultz, different role, different players against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sh- should be, he should bring out some better in Dmitry Kulikov. And I'm not saying that means if he's, I'm not saying if he plays well, stick him on the first line. Don't do that either. Nope. <laughs> but don't be uh, loyal to a fault. If someone's not doing well, make the right changes. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. Obviously, tonight is is night one of this new configuration. Night one of inserting Dmitry Kulikov in. We'll see how he does. Uh, expected to be playing alongside Jan Ruda on the Penguins' third pairing. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, the wild card race is so close. Right after the trade deadline, we'll discuss and rank all of the teams in contention for the Eastern Conference wild card. Right after this. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm host Nick Berlitsky, that's host Nick Horwat, and we are going to rank the wildcard teams. This is part de, part two, if you will, of us ranking the wildcard teams. We, of course, transitioned over from our power rankings of the Metropolitan Division because now there's, there's really just three straight classes and it would be too similar. So we're going to rank the wildcard teams in contention all the way down to the Detroit Red Wings and the Washington Capitals because realistically they're they're under seven points away and a run here and a run there and a, and a drop in, in another direction could put them back in contention. So we're going to include all of those. There's seven teams, Horwat. 
Give us your number seven and then number six to lead things off. Well, you already said Detroit. I think I have to give Detroit that number seven spot. Just uh, they're not doing well. They sold off. It's it looks like they're waving the white waving the white flag, and uh, that's that. They're going to be out of it in short order, I think. Um, according to I'm a, I'm probably going to reference Money Puck a lot when, in terms of uh, <laughs> playoff uh, percentages, odds of making it. I mean take what you will from analytics i guess if you want to or not want to but they have a 0.9 percent chance according to point money nine. puck of making it so 0.9 i mean you know what the steelers were a missed field goal away with that kind of number so mm-hmm. uh, you never know with detroit they could go on a hot run but i don't think they want to at this point like i said tyler bertuzzi is gone um i thought another piece was traded who's escaping me oscar sunfist was traded as well to there like he was acquired no traded oh, was- from there Oh, well, all right. Okay. Oh, and Phillips, uh, was it Zadina, I believe? I don't know. Don't know. Anyway. One of their younger pieces that haven't been really working out as much as expected was also traded. I can't think of the name right now. I think it might be Zadina, but I might be mistaken. It might be a different one. You know what? They sold off, though. They seem to be (laughs) calling it a year, uh, but showing the kind of potential they have. Uh, you know, maybe what I'm realizing is that in, lost in that entire fold is Dylan Larkin signing a new contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, congratulations. It sucks that you get a new deal and some of your best players get traded away. Such is life in hockey. But, yeah, I think they're just calling it for the year. Um, that that happens. Mm-hmm. But definitely number seven. Yeah, I have them actually at number six. I have the Washington Capitals at number seven. I'm assuming you have the Caps at six. Yes. Okay, so we had that switched. I think both teams, you you saw them sell last week. The Red Wings were really in it until they had a week where they lost a game that they should have won against the Tampa Bay Lightning. They completely dominated them, but Andre Vasilevsky goalied them. And then they just couldn't carry that momentum over to -to back-to-back games in Ottawa, and they got shelled by the Ottawa Senators. And at that moment, Steve Eiserman said, listen, these guys have been fighting their butts off all year. We were in in the contest right there. We were right there in a playoff spot at one point in the past two weeks. And then they just lost a handful of games in a row, and Iserman said, okay, it's not the year. So he sold off at the deadline because that's not the Iser plan was not to make the playoffs this year. It would have been a feather in the cap. So he sold off. The Red Wings have fallen back, and they're going to get a better lottery opportunity at Connor Bedard or even at Montvey Mitchkoff or Adam Fantilli, who are also going to be in the top three or four. So I have them at six. I think the Capitals blatantly were selling. I mean, the plan was obvious. They looked at their UFAs, their upcoming UFAs, and they said, can we sign you? If they can, they re-sign them. If they can't sign them now, they just were going to trade them. Dmitry Orlov, Garnett Hathaway as well. Uh, they signed guys like Sonny Milano, like Strom, and, and that's really what they ended up doing. Now, do I think that they have a good team still? Yeah, there's still talent there. Obviously, you have Alex Ovechkin. They're still going to be dangerous until they're not. But we've never seen Alex Ovechkin when he's out of it, like when he's out of the playoff race. He's going to be trying to score goals, and that's going to be their full just goal the rest of the season is how many goals can we get Alex Ovechkin the rest of the year? So while both of these teams were selling at the deadline and were struggling in the last 10 I would put the Red Wings ahead of the Capitals because I still think there's younger players on the Red Wings that are looking to prove something and looking to prove Steve Eisenman wrong because there are roster spots up for grabs in Detroit, whereas they aren't really as much in Washington. Here's the thing about that plan of just getting Ovechkin to score goals. Mm-hmm. 
when you score goals, you win games. Yeah, when well, when it's only one player though. Yeah, but you dumb luck your way into Ovechkin's <laughs> like. Let's say they get four power plays. There's six power plays in a game. He scores on four of them. You yeah. dumb luck your way into an into a seeding. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it's the, the odds aren't great. They're my sixth pick. Yeah. But you dumb luck your way into some wins. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, 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 we're here again. They might not want to be, you know. But suddenly, you're the eighth seed. Yeah. Hey, way to go, guys. You were still the Washington Capitals. You still have the talent. You still have Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Oshie, mm-hmm. Tom Wilson. You re-signed Dylan Strom starting next year. Your defense is horrid now. Yeah. But um, uh, who's your goalie? Oh, yeah, a Stanley Cup winning goalie. You dumb luck your way into something, you might have something. But, again, it, they're still only my six. Yeah. But you, I, when, when your main goal is to get someone scoring goals – well, suddenly you're accidentally winning games because you mm-hmm. can't just score a goal and say, okay, now don't count that one against the ledger. <laughs> Only well, for yeah, <laughs> obviously, but so. you know, like I, I just, I, either way it's the Red Wings and the Capitals. They both yeah. sold at the deadline. I, I don't think either of them are really in a position to make the Stanley cup playoffs. Um, but again, like we said, there's a reason that there, there's a month left. Stuff can happen. March is moving month in the National Hockey League. So stuff can really, you know, go all over the place here in the next couple of weeks. Number five for me is the Florida Panthers. They just haven't been able to put things together. I mean, it's a lot of the team that won the President's Trophy last year, a lot of the team that led the league in goal scoring last year, but they just haven't really been able to put it all together. Yes, they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins on Saturday, but the Penguins really didn't show up in that game, which was interesting enough. But the the Panthers despite going up against a team that really didn't show up, took a long time to take control of that game, at least on the scoreboard to me. While they were controlling the pace of play, they really couldn't do much against Casey DeSmith. They couldn't do much against a team that, in my opinion, just wasn't there like in in the Pittsburgh Penguins. And when I look at the Panthers, the the fate of their season relies on Sergei Bobrovsky, and that is a coin flip. Like, you could get... Vezina Trophy, Sergei Bobrovsky, or you could get the Sergei Bobrovsky that the Penguins faced in the playoffs a couple times when he was with the Columbus Blue Jackets, which was horrendous. So I don't know why. I just trust the Florida Panthers less than these other four teams. So I have them at number five. So it's funny that you say you trust them less. You said Florida that low, and I immediately started scrambling, thinking, why does he have Florida so low? I have them <laughs> a little higher. Yeah. I'm going to hold to my spot just because I think I trust them more than some of these teams. Okay, so who do you have at five? At five, I have Ottawa, and I don't really know why. But um, I get, you know, when it comes to that percentage that I'm going to mention for Money Puck, they have, <clears throat> excuse me, the 24.1% chance, which is higher than the next two on the list here. Mm-hmm. But I think something about that young core that isn't all that there yet i'm trying to remember the moves they made i know they picked up chikrin mm-hmm. uh, and they have a hell of a future ahead of them um it's just really interesting to see what they can do they just seem sh- a little shoddy i think right now they just mm. it it's there but it's not like they're gonna make the push tm <laughs> I, I don't know it's interesting it the is. position they're in because their team this week people are allowed to start putting bids in to purchase the Ottawa Senators. So the team's in an interesting position. They have games in hand on the Islanders right now. They don't have any games in hand on the Penguins. They have games in hand, though, on the Panthers 
and the Washington Capitals. Uh, I'll talk more about the Ottawa Senators later because I have them higher in my list. But you have them at five. I have the Panthers at five. And uh, I think it's going to get interesting here uh, with our two lists from here on out. So, Horwat, who do you have at four? One one, one last thing about Ottawa. Their goaltending is questionable. Yeah, Cam Talbot can be good or can be not good. And then the rest of the list is just creative players, in my opinion. Yeah, Anton Forsberg might be having a good season, but him on IR doesn't help. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that goaltending is questionable. And you know who else has really questionable goaltending? My number four. Four? Yes, my number four pick here, Buffalo. That's exactly where I have them. Yeah, that's how I put Florida for your information. But Buffalo, Mm -hmm. as much as Tage Thompson is eating the world alive this season, Mm -hmm. as much as they're getting production out of Jeff Skinner, which we haven't seen in a long time, as much as... This team is finally doing things. Mm-hmm. That ah, I don't know if there's any team that has a bigger question mark in goaltending than the Buffalo Sabres. Well, what do you mean? The fact that they actually have three that they use? Yeah, that's a start. <laughs> how do you how are you gonna roll through with three goalies? Hey, N- number two, one of them is forty one years old and playing pretty darn good at that at forty one. You know, he, he's performing. As, you know, best as you can expect a 41-year-old goaltender to perform in Craig Anderson. Yeah, I I just think they're going to be in a big situation, much like, in my eyes, at least Ottawa, where they have great talent. Their next year is going to be way better if they can figure Mm -hmm. out their goaltending. And, by God, the... (laughs) Following the trade deadline, the Buffalo Sabres have the most amount of cap space available. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much of that is getting locked up next year into new deals? But still, it's... Uh... Listen, they're in a good position for the future. Uh, and I think the biggest thing that you have to look at for Buffalo, when is the last time that you have seen the Buffalo Sabres playing competitive hockey in March? Because it's been a long time. There have been some times in the past couple of years where they've gotten off to a hot start. There was one year that I believe they were like 11 Owen three, and then they fell off a cliff. So to be able to not fade away this late into the season, still be very young. The one thing that their general manager, Kevin Adams, didn't do was sell young pieces to bring guys in. I know they brought in Jordan Greenway, if I if memory serves me correctly, but they didn't really trade very many young pieces. They really didn't trade all that much draft capital, and they still have a really good team on the ice. And the biggest thing that I look at with their season this year, they're 19-9-2 on the road but they are also 13-17-2 at home. So they're a young team. They have a lot of cap space. They're already performing well on the road. This is a team that has a bright future, and I have them at number four. I love seeing the Buffalo Sabres this high, but when I look at the other teams, I think they're just a little bit better prepared for this stretch run than the Buffalo Sabres are. Like you said, that youth without the, the big veteran other than I guess Craig Anderson's the veteran but they don't really have you know Skinner I believe Ocposo is up there so these are all guys that aren't other than maybe Alex Tuck that haven't really found a lot of success in recent years um I I just I feel like Buffalo's not gonna have enough to get it done but it's gonna be an interesting ride to see how close they make it yeah they're gonna be an interesting team next year too I say they have 17 million in cap space now this upcoming offseason yeah, they're adding to the... So, this upcoming offseason is very interesting. They have four, five contracts kicking in. Mm-hmm. Four, five, four. Four, counting wrong. They have four contracts kicking in, and yet, and with only one defenseman up at the end of the year, and they're still going to gain $5 million in cap space. <laughs> you want to know how? They're paying for Ben Bishop right now. Oof. 
he's off after this year. Yeah. There's like five, four point nine. Right yeah. there. That's what, if if they can do real good things with that money. Man, this is we're talking about all these teams. They're all going to be good again next year. Yeah, the the Atlantic is going to be interesting next year. The only question is, can these younger teams take enough of a step to catch up to that top three? Because I mean, Boston's on historic pace. Toronto, listen, I have I have heavy expectations for Toronto this season, and the Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Eastern Conference Championship three years in a row. So, uh, will they be able to catch that? That's obviously a question for down the road. They're not going to be able to do that this season, but these teams, Buffalo. Ottawa, Florida, if they reload, Detroit, if they can continue to take steps forward. Let's just say uh, Montreal needs to needs to kick it into gear there because the rest of the division is is looking like it's on the upswing. Yeah, it's teams have to, a team has to be bad somewhere along the line. <laughs> somebody and has to miss. Somebody has to lose games, and it's hard to find which ones will be doing that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we have the top three. Both of us haven't said the Islanders or the Penguins as of yet. So it'll be interesting to see where we place the two teams that currently sit in wildcard positioning. Horwat, who is your number three team? Well, I said Florida. So it's, Florida. Uh, I hinted at Florida earlier. You said you don't trust the players. I do trust the players. Um, Matthew Kachuk is uh, 25 and looking really good in Florida, despite yeah. them not winning. Sure, sure. the goaltending's questionable. I understand. Sure, Aaron Ekblad is made of paper. Is he the one that's always hurt? Yes. Yeah, him and Barkov just came off an injury. Yeah. But, you know, I think this... Now, I know people were a little overhyped about Florida last year winning the President's Trophy. They still have that pedigree. They still yeah. know what it takes to win mm-hmm. in the regular season. So... Why couldn't this this group of guys? I mean, I get they traded off some of the, some of the pieces for that for Kachuk, but who says they couldn't do it again? Who says they yeah. couldn't bring something like that back? Mm-hmm. And by like that, I mean winning, not President's Trophy stuff. That's gone out the window. But winning, why couldn't they win again? Mm. Yeah, like I said, with Florida, I just I, I think it's the defense that scares me. I don't think that they have a good enough defense when it comes down the stretch, and I don't think their offense is is clicking as highly as it did last season and it can't make up for the 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 defensive mistakes so that's why I have Florida where I do and that's that's down at five and number three I have the Pittsburgh Penguins Um, I think they're in the best place in the standings right now the math works out very well for them obviously you go to money puck and it has them at I believe like an 80 plus percent chance 90.6 90 okay that's that's a little exaggerated for money puck there but 90 percent chance to make the playoffs but when i look at power rankings when i look at how these teams are performing when i look at what they did at the trade deadline which is a main reason why we're doing it today and not last week yes the penguins have won four out of five which is why i have them above you know buffalo and florida and obviously detroit and washington but at the end of the day that defense what they're doing there, I have questions about it. We talked about it in the first segment. And also that bottom six, did it get better? A little bit. But is it really better that it's going to make a difference? No, it's not. It's not going to make that big of a difference. Like, is Nick Bonino really going to add to your bottom line that much? Is Mikhail Granlund going to add that much to where it takes you to another level? No, I don't think it will. If it does... Color me surprised. Come back to this. Old takes exposed me. That's fine. That's, that's what I do. I do this in front of a, a microphone. I'm going to be wrong sometimes. But I really don't know if that bottom six is going to be able to hold. And 
I do think they make the playoffs, but simply because at the end of the day, it's Crosby, it's Malkin performing at the level that they are, and I also think Tristan Jari has shown that he's starting to get back to that game that got him into the All-Star game twice in his career already, and that is going to be absolutely massive for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I got the Penguins at one. Oh, so you have the Islanders at two. Yes. Me and you have the same thing. I have the Islanders at two as well. And who'd you have at one? I have the Ottawa Senators at number one. That's very interesting. Okay. I have the Senators at number one for a couple of reasons. If you watch the way that they've played over the last couple of weeks, they have been really intriguing, right? They beat the crap out of the Detroit Red Wings, who at the moment were playing really well and were sitting in a playoff spot. Ottawa basically tanked Detroit season. Now they were both home games. They add Jacob Chikrin. Since they added Jacob Chikrin, there has been a buzz around that team. I also, I love the, you know, I love the storylines, Horwat. Team being up for sale. Bids start to come in now. I think there's a lot that even though the players on the ice are probably not that concerned with the sell of the team, I think the players on the ice are going to say, okay, listen, this is an interesting time in the franchise. There's a lot of young guys that haven't experienced this as of yet, but they also have the veterans. Chikrin, this is the first time he's been in a winning situation in his entire life. I think he joked with Hockey Night in Canada. He said, oh, this is the most people I've seen at a pregame skate in a long time. Uh, and not only that, you have guys like Giroux. You have a guy like Dabrinkit. And most importantly, who I think is the best player on that team that nobody is talking about is Tim Stutzla. He is ridiculous. Like, if you have watched him play over the past couple of months, he is one of the best players in the league right now. Yes, Connor McDavid is by far and away the best player in hockey right now. But Tim Stutzla is putting on massive performances. Chikrin has went gone into that fold and fit really well. The one thing that concerns me is the goaltending. I think that the goaltending of my second team, which is the Islanders, and the third team, which is the Penguins, is better. But I would put their goaltending situation right up there with the Red Wings. I would put their goaltending situation right now right up with the Capitals because Kemper hasn't been that good this year. Maybe not the Panthers if Bobrovsky can be the way that he is. I put it up there with the Buffalo Sabres because who's really their starter? If you have three starters, you really don't have one. So I don't know. I just I like the Senators. I like what they did at the deadline. And I really like the team on the ice. I mean, they're young. They're fast. They're talented. They're fun. I like what they've done. And power rankings-wise, I don't know if it's going to be enough to get them into the playoffs. But they're certainly going to make a run because guess what? They also have a couple of games in hand on the New York Islanders, which is why I like them more than the Isles. I have the Isles at second. I wanted to drop a more, I, but you don't want to overreact to not having Matt Barzell because they've still stayed afloat despite not having him. But their goaltending situation and the fact that they've absolutely dominated the Pittsburgh Penguins in their matchups this season, that's why I have them ahead of the pen still. Yeah, it's <clears throat> looking at these teams that we've just discussed, I mean – Detroit, Washington, Florida, Buffalo, Ottawa, Pittsburgh, New York. They're all of them except for the Islanders. If you look at their last tens, have all been supremely average. Penguins mm -hmm. are five and five. Buffalo's six and four. Ottawa's six three and one. Florida five and five. And then Washington and Detroit are not good. They're below average. Yeah. Whereas the Islanders, it's still average, but it's above average. They're five two and three, mm -hmm. just better than the other teams right now. But exactly what pace does that bring compared to the others it's 
about the same, slightly more because of those overtime wins. Mm-hmm. All these teams have just been average in their last 10, so we can't even like look at a team and go, that team's getting hot, bump them up. Mm-hmm. You know, If anything, you could look at the Rangers and go, they're getting cold. And plus, the Penguins playing them three times next week. The, things go right suddenly there, we're discussing there, the penguins in a real spot there is there is a real world where the pittsburgh penguins can catch the new york rangers but it all comes down to that week and they also have to win heading into that week which that week is next week so and heading into and heading into that week we got this week which is columbus we got the islanders we can figure that out and philly first yeah, time it, seeing john tortorella in pittsburgh behind the bench of the flyers and that's true we got not i'm gonna say not easy opponents but we got some opponents here that that we are capable of of winning against yeah also remember other than the first game the penguins were in both games against the islanders the most recent two Mm -hmm. so and i think didn't they blow a lead in both of those games didn't one go to overtime one definitely went to overtime i think they blew a third period lead in both games so listen you could win these three games situate yourself right there next to the New York Rangers, ready to take those three games. That's what? That's a 12-point swing in a week between the Penguins and the Rangers if you win all of those games. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But that's our uh, power rankings for the wild card. My finals go Capitals at 7, Red Wings at 6, Panthers, Sabres, Penguins, Islanders, and Senators at number 1. Might be overrating the Senators, but I just love what they've done adding Chickering, and I love watching them play, so I have them at number 1. Yeah, I mean, I'm not being a homer whenever I say this, but mine goes in 7-1, to one, Detroit, Washington, Ottawa, Buffalo, Florida, New York, Islanders, Pittsburgh. Um, like I said, that's not being a homer thing. It's the Penguins genuinely have three games in hand on the Islanders. I think if you needed them to get a point in three games, they could do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and like we just mentioned, there's – sure, they – Ron Hexall addressed the problem areas of the team – he didn't Kinda. improve them that much, but he we'll, addressed them. Yeah, we'll talk about that more in the next segment. Yeah, and then if they're able to put themselves in a nice spot, let's say they pull six points on the line this week. Let's say they pull four to five this week against those three teams. Let's say the Rangers continue their slipping, their, their <laughs> little their slippery slope that they're on by overloading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now all of a sudden we play them three times in a week. We got Montreal tossed in there, too. Let's not forget that. That's a capable team to beat, right? Suddenly, we're having a discussion of, hey, the Penguins are out of the wild card. We are in the top three if all things go right. Yeah, that that is certainly a scenario that is possible. But also, you need a lot of things to go right in your favor. But at the same time, I will say this. We've said it several times in this segment. The Penguins have the best math right now to make the playoffs. It is in their hands. And everybody's saying, you know, every team is saying, you know, it's in our hands. If we win, then we'll be in. But the Pittsburgh Penguins, the math is so far in their hands. Like you said, over 90% chance, according to moneypuck.com. Now that percentage changes every single day based on, you know, which of these teams gets a win in that specific night. If the Penguins lose, that drops dramatically. But 90% chance on March 7th with games in hand on a lot of these teams and even an outside chance at catching the Rangers considering the way they've played and the games that you have next week, it's a good spot for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, quickly go through our weekly Pens poll.
Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Our weekly Pens poll this week is is simple. How do you grade Ron Hextall's trade deadline performance? Uh, When you look at it, realistically, it started with the placing of Kasperi Kapanen on waivers. He's picked up by the Buffalo, sorry, the St. Louis Blues, where he already has two goals, by the way. Um, Don't need to get into that. One of them being an empty netter, the other one being on a breakaway. Um, Also, trades Teddy Bluger away for a, I believe, lower pick, third or fourth round pick, and Peter Deliberator, yeah, an ECHL player. They also acquire Mikhail Granlin from the Nashville Predators. They acquire Nick Bonino from the San Jose Sharks, and they acquire Dmitry Kulikov is the last deal from the Anaheim Ducks. So Horwat, our listeners grade this a C, 48%, giving Ron Hextall a C in this trade deadline period. 41% said D to F, 9% gave him a B, and 2% gave him an A, which I believe works out to one vote, considering I put it out a little late. Did we find Ron Hextall's burner account? I think we might have either that or our, our good buddy, the hockey troll, because he oh, loves seeing the Pittsburgh Penguins burn and crash. Um, so, Horwat, how do you grade Ron Hextall's trade deadline performance this year? I, I got to go low C, maybe a mm-hmm. high D. I'm not going higher than that. Um, he, Like I said a few minutes ago, he addressed the problems. Mm-hmm. He did not act on them, really. He saw that – he saw two – minor league defensemen get injured and said okay we need another defenseman you need another minor league defenseman my guy <laughs> uh, and don't get me wrong it's good to be out from under the brock that is the bo- the bonuses of his uh of hextall's deadline dealings here was getting out from underneath the contracts of kapanen and brock mcginn Th- mm-hmm. those two might th- those two moves might be the best thing he's mm-hmm. did he, he did this week two weeks however long it's been mm-hmm. those might be the biggest the biggest upgrades was getting out from those. The issue was immediately setting it on fire with Mikhail Granlund. Yeah. Now, I believe the Granlund thing we did talk about already. Yes, mm-hmm. it's a fine move. It can't. It's a he's a player full of maybes. That's yeah. what I how I put it in the story. He's he might be able to get something out of himself. He might be able to rejuvenate Jeff Carter. He might be able to find something with Danton Heinen. Mm-hmm. He's a player full of maybes, and at $5 million, that's not what you want. Moving up from there, I mean, what? It, I, I'm looking at Nick Benino as the trade for the vibes. Mm. Not much more, really. Uh, yeah. <laughs> players like him, which are uh, bottom-line centers who can win draws and play defense, dime a dozen. Dime a dozen. You had to go through Montreal to cut the to cut the salary down. That's fine. Yeah. I just, I, uh, okay. I, I don't, I, it, like I said, for the vibes, positive. Very good, good positive move for the feel good, the bringing the band back together sort of situation. Um, and he should be fine. He's a, he's an improvement over Teddy Bluger, like you said before. Uh, mm-hmm. 10 goals on the season. Automatically the uh, highest scoring bottom six player on the team. Yeah. That includes Granlin, by the way. He only has nine. Yeah. Uh, yikes. Yikes, and because we don't have McGinn anymore, who also had 10, but those 10 came in, like, December. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, it's a fine move, I guess. It's Mm -hmm. okay. 
again, it addresses the problem, doesn't really do anything to activate it. Mm-hmm. And Kulikov, I mean, like I said, you add another piece of lumber to the log jam. What do you now? It was our whole first section. Whole first section. We don't need to go too much further. Mm-hmm. I give this a C because he addressed the problem, but he didn't too much action for it. And also, each of these trades, Granlund, Benino, and Kulikov, all secondary. They're all backups mm-hmm. for what we would have wanted in those exact positions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kulikov, we would have much rather had Jacob Chikrin. Benino, we would have much rather had uh, an Ivan Barbashev. Yes, like an Ivan Barbashev, someone for the depth in the forward position. Granlund, we would have much rather had a guy like Max Domi. Max Domi, a, bottom, a, a third line forward. Yeah. We would have much rather had something like that. These were all the. Uh, we're out of time picks. All of the good pieces are gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, you can't look at these trades and not think of that. Nothing against these players. Kulikov could be a good piece for the blue line down the line in the in the uh, in the playoffs. It's also a rental. Uh, Benino c- could become folklore. Nick Benino again. You never know. Mm-hmm. As long as his leg stays in one piece. And Granlin could become something, not just for this year, but for the two years following. There's mm-hmm. some positives that might be had here, yeah. but they were all secondary, and that hurts. And I can't, and, and Hextall needs to be faulted for that. So I go C-, D+, plus at the, at the worst, between those two. Mm-hmm. I would give him a C+, plus if it wasn't for the two years of Granlin. That too. Because when you look at it, Yes, the biggest thing he did was get out from a couple of his bad contracts, which, again, how much credit can you give him? He's getting out from his own mistakes. Um, but he opened up $6 million for the future by shedding Kapanen and McGinn. And then he filled it with $5 million worth of Mikhail Granlund, which, again, we don't know what Pittsburgh Penguins Mikhail Granlund ends up being. He could be a better version than he was in, in Nashville. Shoot, he could be a better version than he was in Minnesota. It's unlikely because he's older than he was in both of those instances, clearly. And you just don't know what he's able to do. Uh, The big question that I have is, was that a move you made because you're worried that you're not going to be able to sign Jason Zucker after the season? That's a worry for me. And that's something that we, I can obviously get into on a different, different episode at a different date. When we talk about maybe the 3M segment um, that we're going to be bringing back here in the next couple of weeks. But When I look at the trade deadline, I thought, okay, you're trying to open up cap space this summer so you can rebuild this this bottom six proper because you can't do it in seven days. You couldn't expect him to turn everything around and build a bottom six the way it needs to be for this team to immediately become a cup contender on paper. That's just not going to happen because you waited too late to be able to do that. So I thought maybe... He was trying to do it so he can put a team on the ice that can make the playoffs and give Crosby and Malkin the opportunity to carry a team on a playoff run while also making sure you left yourself a lot of space this summer to fully address the bottom six. And then he lit it on fire with Mikhail Granlin. So the only way that I could see that still being in his plans is if in Ron Hextall's mind, Jason Zucker's already out the door, which is a negative for the Pittsburgh Penguins because replacing Jason Zucker... With Mikhail Granlin, just isn't, you know, it's not a fair trade-off for the Penguins. It is, again, a regression in that position. I don't know if that's the plan. I don't know if that was ever the plan. But in my mind, again, I can see a connection there, which is why I bring it up. 
So I, I give him a C plus because he didn't do anything to actively hurt the team, but he also really didn't do much to help the team on the ice. It might be an upgrade, but again, marginally, which is a word that a lot of people have thrown out there this week. It was marginal upgrades in a lot of these areas, which is a, a good thing. He didn't screw everything up, but when you look at it and you look at how much money he ended up having to spend at the deadline and he didn't spend it in a way that actually upgraded the team. I mean, you had $6 million. You could have gotten Domi and somebody else there and who knows what that would have looked like. But a, a lot of ifs go into it. Chicago might not have wanted to deal with the Pittsburgh Penguins. A lot of people are saying, hey, you could have gotten Jacob Chikrin if you would have done everything faster. If you would have traded Brock McGinn and, and two firsts, Arizona would have taken it. No, they wouldn't have because they didn't want to take on salary. So, you know, for the people that are saying all you had to do was throw McGinn into that deal, throw Bluger into that deal, and you would have had Chikrin. No, you wouldn't have. Like, the thing is, it's not only what the Penguins are willing to to meet with an asking price. The Penguins could meet an asking price, and it could just be a little off, and the team doesn't want it. Even somebody looks at the Penguins and says, I can either take your package where you meet our ask with a first-round pick, or I could take that package, which has one less first-round pick, but it's a much worse team, so it's going to be a better pick. They might take that. That might be why they took Ottawa. That's exactly I think why they took Exactly. It's a team that is likely to be a higher pick. And also, they're not sending any salary back, which is what Arizona wanted. So the, the trades are really weird. The trade deadline, you have to think of a lot more angles that just then, oh, that's what the price was. That's what the Penguins could have gotten them for. No, it's not what the Penguins could have gotten them for. Because I guarantee you, if they were in on Chikrin and all reports lean to, they were very close to landing Chikrin. It doesn't mean that if they offered exactly what the Senators offered, that they would have gotten the deal. Because teams see different picks from different teams in, in different ways. So that's where I think that everybody's a little bit harder on Hextall, but that's that's league-wide. I still think Hextall could have done more, but I don't think he did anything to actively hurt this team from where they were at 10 days ago. That's what you're banking on. It's I, I think, too, that uh, it's hard because you saw what everyone went for. But we also know Ron Hextall, he may have fumbled the answer a little bit, but it seems like now he really did not want to move a first-round pick. He, We know he didn't want to sell high assets for a rental. Well, he didn't. He sold Brock McGinn for a rental. He sold... Where did our pick go? There it is. Our, we, we sold a seventh and a fifth for another rental in Nick Benino. Mm -hmm. We sold Teddy Bluger for... Who knows what that man... What... Peter, that guy, ends up ever doing for this organization. PDD. Yeah. It, there's – and then whenever he said he didn't want to get a rental, well, he didn't. He got Mikhail Granlit for $5 million. Yeah. And that's the highest price he paid, which was a second-round pick. And you know you know what? Cool. You know what? Good business. Good business. You got moves made without selling a first-round pick, but guess what? Again, they weren't the premier moves. Well, here's the thing how many players that were traded at this deadline period would you have honestly traded the first round pick for Jacob Chikrin's one of them. And we'll never know if the first round pick was on the table for Chikrin. I'd have to imagine if they were in the conversation, the first round pick was on the table for Jacob Chikrin. I would have to imagine that. Like, I don't think that the Penguins get into that conversation any other way. 
who else though? Like Tarasenko was already gone. Kane was never really a possibility for Pittsburgh, and he wasn't. He didn't go for a first round pick anyway. Like how many first round picks do you really? How many players were out there that you really wanted to, to give a first round pick out there for? No one from Vancouver. But here's the thing. You would have to imagine that they were in for Chikrin on a first-round pick. But at the same time, you have to remember, Jacob Chikrin's a defenseman. Ron Hextall said he didn't want to trade away a defenseman. We were going to add to the logjam anyway. It may yeah. have been a bit more of an obvious choice to take out of the lineup. Maybe it was a bit clear of a Chikrin in, doom one out, boom. You're not adding Kulikov into a competition. Maybe well, there's also, some differences there. I don't yeah. know. I think there's... That's a really? domino effect at that point. If you get Chikrin, there's probably another move that you're moving out a, sal- a salary somewhere. It would have had to have been, yes. Even but... if Arizona didn't take it. You know, I, I, I believe I saw somebody, I, I I don't want to misquote, but I think it was Yoey that said there are teams that have interest in Brian Dumoulin. Like, this is the NHL, and they still value him at an NHL level. But, Maybe. But, at, at, and, but they can get him for free next summer, or this upcoming summer. Exactly. That would purely be you also spending money to get Brian Dumlin out or spending assets to get Brian Dumlin out. I don't know. Again, it's all hypotheticals. It's all stuff that didn't happen. But at the end of the day, you grade him C- minus to C-plus kind of sliding scale. I give him a C-plus just because, you know, he did get out from two of those really bad contracts, and we don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't think Granlin's ever going to live up to $5 million for the next two years, but he, he might be more of an asset than... McGinn and Kapanen would have brought for their combined five. So I don't know. I said uh, D plus to C minus, by the way. I'm not going any higher. D plus to C minus. Okay. Yeah. Just because, also because of the way he wanted to handle it. We don't know what he wanted to do with the first round pick for sure. And that's fine. We shouldn't know what he wanted to do with that pick. He didn't Mm -hmm. want to move out of defenseman, despite the fact that whenever the conversations were really heavy with Vancouver, I forget who it was that said it's possible to return for something with Vancouver is Pedersen and Joseph excuse me? Yeah, that would have been... I don't care who you're getting from Vancouver, that's a dumb move. Well, yeah, you're you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. You're completely just taking everything off of your blue line. Yeah. Just to try to add... I mean, don't get me wrong. JT Miller has, what, 50 points this season? He's producing, but he's also injury prone he's also about to make eight million dollars for the next seven years yeah you're slamming the door on making any sort of signing if you're getting jt miller in any capacity you're slamming that door shut yeah so regardless uh we close the book on the nhl trade deadline we give our grades i'm sure we're still going to end up talking about it forever and ever amen but we close the book for now horwat uh on this day we have a different gm next year yeah, we shall see. Uh, that's certainly what I expect, what you expect, but we'll see how everything plays out here in the last month and change of the NHL season. But that's going to do it for this episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. We will be back later this week with a full episode. Also, don't forget to check out the feed for new episodes of Penguins to Go, which should come out on Wednesday and Friday. But that's it for this one. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>